Let me get myself into the zone. What zone? <laughs> Welcome to Hidden Among Us. Woohoo. Hello. <laughs> hey. Happy Saturday, guys. It's a rainy Saturday. Actually, it's happy Sunday because they'll be listening to this on Sunday. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Happy Sunday. Oh, that's true. Hope it's happy not Sunday, rainy. guys. Yep, I hope it's definitely not rainy. No, actually, I hope it's rainy. Why? I love nice, the cozy rain. day. Yeah. It's only Chris that doesn't like it. Yeah, I don't like the rain. It's so creepy because it's grey and there's noise and I hate it so much. Noise? Is that how you describe it? Yeah. But that's because, like, because Chris is always hiding in her, like, jacket. Hiding? That is not true. I'm not always hiding in my jacket. Honda, can you back me up on this? I mean, I have pictures. She's always hiding in her jacket. Even if it's a sunny day. I remember when you went to Korea and my friends and I went to picnic at the Han River and I was the only one in a jacket. And it was so cold. So there's this picture of me literally with the my hoodie, my hood up, pulling the string mm-hmm. so you can only see like the small portion of my face huddled but in my But you didn't sweater. even go during winter, it's a thing. No, but it's near water so it's naturally cold. <laughs> you know? Ooh. Plus it was evening. Okay lah, I can imagine the breeze, but it's you do get cold quite easily. That's true. That's very true. In fact, yeah, my, you can't survive winter in Korea. But I want to go. Like I want to experience winter at some point. You'll in never my life. leave your hotel room. It's true. <laughs> like every every two seconds, I'll be like running into a warm place. <laughs> I can imagine that. Yes. Also, I would like to apologize to all our listeners for the quality of my audio last week. It sounded like I was recorded on a calculator. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, my usual setup couldn't be set up. So, that's why I sound like I was um, 20 kilometers away and talking to Shannon Honda. <laughs> well, but your, your audio now is pretty good. Yes! Thank you. Um, I tossed out that calculator. So... I'm not recording on a calculator anymore. That's great. Chris, so what what do you have for us uh, this week for Animal Crossing updates? Um, So my rock oh my trick God. worked, but I was boo-boo the fool. So I missed out on like two particular locations. Mm-hmm. and Which were important. Which were important. So on two different days, um, rock spawned in the wrong locations. So I had <gasps> to break those rocks and try again. Oh, also, my favorite villager, Lopez, gave me his photo. So, I guess you could say that things are moving pretty quickly. I've I've already bought my wedding gown and veil. Oh my god, what if he leaves the village? <laughs> He's never leaving my village. Like, <laughs> my, my dream is to create a village that is just full of wolf and deer villagers. So, Lopez is never leaving. Neither is my favorite wolf, Fang. None of them are leaving. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I haven't played this morning yet. Like, I logged in, but I haven't spoken to anyone or gifted anyone. I gift my villagers something every day. Oh, wow. That's nice of you. That's very <laughs> nice of me. Sometimes, um, when... Sometimes I actually re-gift something they've given me before. And, like, mm-hmm. there's, there's, like, a dialogue option that will appear where it's, like, 
them thinking, haven't I seen this before? Oh my gosh. I could be mistaken. <laughs> and then at that point, I'm just like, oh shit. Mm. I'm sorry, Shari. I can't remember you gave me a pineapple hat. <laughs> I just thought you looked cute in it. <laughs> oh no. I want to play Animal Crossing just to see how you get married on there. You can't get married on Animal Crossing. But, oh, remember it's wedding season. Yeah. So because it's wedding season, like, um, you have all the wedding furniture, you have wedding clothes and stuff like that. So you can go to this, um, this special island called Harv's Island, where it's like a photo studio. So you can set up like a wedding sort of backdrop and then you can get married. Oh, I remember you saying this. Yeah, it's really cute. Also, um, I'm traumatized by the images of Sikwe. Sikwe or Sikwe? Oh, Sikwe. Sikwe. I pronounce I it as Sikwe. Right. Yeah, anyway, um, I didn't know that Googling his name would just give me images of his <laughs> mummified body. But I never want to see that ever again. It's yeah, so yeah, that was, that's pretty It's a bit creepy. Gnarly. It was damn gross. Like, he's... Also, the casing he's in is so big. Okay, wait. I mean, yeah, they have to fit his whole body I mean, in. <laughs> Yeah, but he's, he's he's standing up. Yeah, he's standing yeah, he's up, but he's upright. literally mummified. I don't know what I expected. I know, yeah, but I don't know what to feel about those kind of things. Like you know, like you're like showcasing, not showcasing, but like yeah, you're exhibiting a body like a human. You know? Yeah, it's an actual human being, and like he wants to like. I understand that he committed a heinous crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just. So like, how long is he going to be there for? Yeah, how long is he going to be there for? The, the exactly. fact that they put him in this museum, like a, like something to gawk at and look at. Like a freak show. Like thing. a freak show, yeah, essentially. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's like different, for example, when I went to Egypt many years ago, we went to this museum that had like uh, King Tut's stuff in there. But mm-hmm. I, they never, they, there was no like mummified things to look at so even when mm. you go to these ancient oh. museums you don't see like mummified kings or whatever just think it's so weird that Sikwe is mummified yeah I think that's the whole the whole issue that I brought up you guys yeah. like that's what the nation views too they don't think that he should be out on display like that no, like no. he committed crimes long ago He's, he should be like buried properly yeah I guess in a way but also the fact that the reason why he's mummified is for him to be eternally shamed. Anyone <laughs> visiting the the museum is going to see that that mummified um display of him and know that he did all these crimes and they're going to like shame him for it. Mm, correct. Yeah. Okay, not to say that we are are like condemning shaming people for like terrible, terrible mm. crimes. Neither are we saying that like Secret should be like, oh, praised or whatever. Now that it's many years later. But it's just, you think about the morality of it. About the way they they put him up for display to be looked at and gawked at. I mean, the Singapore Police Museum has a skull there too. Oh, yikes. Okay, but I, I feel think like a skull is a killer. But yeah, I think it's one of Singapore's first serial killer or something like that. But it's, pretty, it's like quite old. Yeah, but I, mm, I guess it's slightly different if it's a skull versus like a mummified corpse. Person, yeah. Mm. Correct. I mean, maybe in a few years' time, it'll be taken away from the museum, possibly. Mm-hmm. But if that's the yeah. main attraction, I don't think so. Yeah, if it's that's the main true, attraction, so. why would you remove it? Fair yeah, enough. Remove the moneymaker. Yeah, it's a moneymaker. <laughs> oh, well. Hit me up, Honda. 
Okay, so mine is I not ready. murder, murder. You mean it's not murder, murder? Okay. I mean, tell us. Not in the uh, traditional sense, but it's the Tokyo Serin attack. Okay. Was it the cult one? Yeah, the cult <gasps> one. Oh my god! I feel like I've heard this story before. I feel like we have talked about this before. It's the... But let's go. I mean, it's... It's a really big case. That's why. It's the... It's the... What's the name of the cult? The show... <laughs> the... <laughs> show. <laughs> I just listened to... There's this, there's this podcast I, I've been listening to. It's called Cults by Parcast. Mm. Cults. So they cover all these like various cults. And I think they covered the, 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 the Japanese cult that... <clears throat> oh my god, my voice. They covered the Japanese cult that um, carried out that attack. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This year is like the 25th year since the attack. Yeah, so CNA did like a documentary on it. Mm. And it's on YouTube. So like, after listening to like my summary, you can go watch it. It's pretty wild when I first watched it also. Okay, okay. Okay, I'm excited. Okay, tell us <laughs> tell us about this. Okay, so the cult group is not show something. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's... 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 It, they're called... All machine decay. Okay, 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 okay. Yes, I remember them. Okay, so they were founded in 1984 as a yoga and meditation class. Mm-hmm. So the group has like a mixture of like different beliefs consisting of like Indian and Tibetan Buddhism and Christian and Hindu beliefs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, like, yeah, I, I remember this. Like a mix of everything. And they were like mainly a doomsday cult and believed that Armageddon will come in a form of a global war between the US and Japan. Yes, okay, I remember this. I remember this. Uh, I think they were talking about like a race war or something, right? I don't know. Like, they just think like some war will break out. Like yeah, yeah, an yeah. apocalyptic kind of war. It's actually quite interesting because a lot of cults talk about yeah. this. Doomsday. Doomsday or like the end of the world. Yeah, it's quite interesting. And like they believe that non-members are doomed to eternal hell and only can be saved if they were killed by cult members. And then the member of the mm-hmm. cult will survive the, the apocalypse and then build their own kingdom or something. Wow, okay. I mean, that's what all cults like talk about, that they have their own kingdom waiting for them or something. Okay. Mm. And the leader of the cult, his name is Asahara Shoko, but yeah. his birth name is Matsumoto Shizuo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And like under his uh, leadership, like even before the Tokyo Serin attack, the, the, the most like famous one, the group committed like various acts and some of the notable one was like a killing of a lawyer who was working on a class action lawsuit against the cult. And even the mm-hmm. lawyer's wife and one-year-old son was also murdered. Mm-hmm. Oh, yikes. Yeah, I mean, and there was also another like gas attack nine months before the Tokyo Serin attack that was carried out in a residential area in like a prefecture called Nagano Prefecture. Because oh, yeah. uh, they they wanted to carry out this attack, so because there was like a lawsuit against the cult, and then they planned to assassinate the three judges involved in the case. Okay. The total, there were total eight fatalities and five hundred plus people were injured. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there were, and then That's other than yeah. these like attacks, there were eight other like chemical attacks that were carried out by the cult. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they carried out a lot of like uh, chemical attacks because. The members, some of the members, they are they are like have a they have a science background in chemistry, mm-hmm. and some are like engineers. So the, the some of the members are actually pretty like smart. Yeah, I think um I remember that 
uh, the cult leader had this one guy who was like a chemical specialist or something. Mm-mm. So that was so the like guy. the facilities had like stuff to make the necessary like chemicals for their attacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember this. So like coming back to the Tokyo Siren attack, uh, in total there are twi- like twelve uh, fatalities and five thousand five hundred people injured from the attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the attack was on 20th March 1995 during morning rush hour in the metro lines yeah, in, and, in Tokyo. And, and it's, from what I know, it's extremely busy at the time with a lot of people. Tokyo railways are just mad. <laughs> Madness. You need to experience it first before like... <laughs> no, okay, I always remember that... Um, I, I went for this camp and in this camp uh we have a bunch of like international kids that come so we all form groups. I remember on one of the days oh. uh we were all trying to get into the train and it was extremely crowded. <laughs> so we we, mm-hmm. we literally like pushed our way into the train and then um you so us Singaporeans you're like, Oh my god, it's so crowded. And we had this <laughs> one Japanese boy in our group. His name is um his name was Suzuki. And he turns mm-hmm. to us and he's just like, uh, oh, that was very quick. It's not very crowded here. And I was like, Suzuki, <laughs> what? It's actually, it, the train was really full. He's just like, oh no, it's nothing compared to what's in Tokyo. And I was like, okay. It's, it's really yeah, nothing no. compared to Tokyo. <laughs> Honda and I were stuck in a train next to each other with our It's not next to each other. each other. We are face to face to each other, okay? <laughs> And then we're just laughing at and each other like and then getting more and more smooshed. Like, <laughs> it's like you're you're pressed together. You would never face this in the MRT in Singapore. Never. <laughs> it was so funny. We're just laughing. And then, but like, Shen, imagine we were in that train and it was so crowded and then someone released a toxic gas in there. Oh, freak. Yeah. Mm. And like, all the platforms are like crowded, like crazy. Mm. So there's yeah, no way to quite... escape, essentially. Like, even if you were to escape, there's going to be a stampede, which is another scary thing. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. So, five members, like, from the cult rode various metro lines during the morning rush hour. And then the five men were also accompanied by their getaway drivers. So, in total, mm-hmm. ten men were involved in the whole They had getaway the drivers. Attack. Yeah. So, like, they, and they helped prepare the packages. And then, like, when the five men on the train lines were escaping they they were in the car waiting for them at the stations oh, they were supposed oh, okay. to get off it okay so the the train lines that they were on is the Chioda line Hibiya line and the Machi, Marunouchi line which Shen I think we wrote that line when we met in Tokyo okay 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 Shen's look, about. Shen's look of utter disturbance <laughs> just like uh, oh freak yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure I wrote mm. all these lines which is kind of creepy uh like, it's very surreal. To think to think that it was the ground of, like, a heinous attack where so many people mm. were injured. Surreal. And then, like, when I was riding the train, it's so peaceful. You know? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I didn't ride during peak hour, so it's quite peaceful and quiet. And I can't imagine, like... Isn't it, like, know. a unsaid rule in Japan not to speak on the train? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Singapore's trains cannot relate. <laughs> I always end up sleeping yes. in trains in Tokyo because it's so quiet. I don't know. I find it very unnerving. When I was in Korea and 
because in Korea it's also an unsaid rule not to um, speak in the train. It was just so awkward and quiet. And my friends and I were just like whispering to one another. <laughs> it was they not hate children. Oh my god, yes, they do. <laughs> the old no, people very... just glaring at us as if we were the scum of the earth. I'm so sorry to all of them. Well, they're so high strung. They like, they can't take a break. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yikes. So like, these men, they carry um, like packages carrying the liquid, uh, the sarin liquid, and each man carried two packages. So I would say, like, I'll talk about the methodology first, like how they release the liquid and stuff. So when they get in the train, they will set the, the packages on the floor. And when the train approaches the station, which they targeted, they they carry this long umbrella, like the big ones. And then at the bottom of the umbrella, there's like a sharpened tip to pierce the back. Oh. Like, before they exited okay. the train. So that's smart. So, <laughs> okay, yeah. not, not to condone them, <laughs> la, but it's just, I guess, yeah, the most you, low-key way of carrying it out. No one is going... I mean, it's different from like, you, you take out this packet, you set it down there and you cut it open. Oh. It's very quick, you know, you yeah, just stab it quick. and then yeah. you get out. So, like, sarin is like a volatile nerve agent. So when it's pierced and exposed to the air... The liquid quickly evaporates and like spreads in the air inside the train car. Oh shit! Mm. Yeah. Is it one so, of those like um colorless, odorless sort of gases? Apparently, people like were talking about how they could smell something like bad. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, it's not really. Uh, no, I think it's sort of colorless, but it's not odorless. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If it was odorless, I think it'd be more scary. Oh, yeah. A lot more people wouldn't realise what's going on. But the effects were really fast. So I think, like, people mm. catch on very fast that there's something wrong. Okay. So I'm going to, like, summarise, like, each the each of the three lines. Like, what was carried out on each of the lines. So the first line is the Chioda line. So after, like, the, the guy, like, punctured the packages, it stayed on the train. The package stayed on the train for, like, four stops. Oh, wow. So, like... Okay. Two, like, station attendants, like, um, disposed of it. But, like, unfortunately, like, the, the two train, like, station attendants that disposed of the bag passed away because of the exposure to, like, the oh. liquid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, so it's pretty... Why, why did like, it last for four stops, though? I mean, it's the first time, like, such a, like, a, like a, they don't even know at that point what they were experiencing. Mm. Mm. You know, like, it was 1995, so, like, I don't know. I don't think there were any... Yeah, there weren't any, like, big attacks, like, chemical attacks in that way. So, no one was, like, knowing, like, what was going on. Okay, that makes sense. And the train was packed because morning rush hour. So, I don't think you can really spot the source of it if everyone was, like, smooshed together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the package is on the floor. You can't really see it. Eventually, the train stopped its service at, like, the next station, like, after it was disposed and then everyone, like, was evacuated and it was clean. And then on the other line, the Marunouchi line, mm-hmm. the man, like... Oh, I on this line. The <laughs> so it's the red the one. Man that was, am I... Uh, I don't remember the colours. The line... <laughs> okay, the I, I remember that. Japan. I can't. <laughs> okay, that's true, that's true. <laughs> There's too many train lines. I can't. So, like, the man, he was, on, like, on a train bound for Ogikubo Station and before he, like, pierced the packages he recited like the mantras for the cult group and then he's like stabbed the package with like so much force 
that he ended up poisoning himself. Uh, isn't that <laughs> what the cult said is a noble way to go if you die for the cult or something? I don't know. They said the cult members would survive the apocalypse, so... <laughs> That's true. Okay, but so like he, he had the antidote for it. So he's yeah. a dumbass, basically. He was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go out with a big bang. <laughs> and then ended up poisoning himself. <laughs> Truly boo-boo okay, the fool. Yeah. They were actually prepared if I think that happened since he had the antidote for it inside the getaway car. Oh god, this feels so much mm, like a... Wow. Like a movie. Like a... Right. Like a badly written... <laughs> Fox movie. I mean, the I think it's that a goes, dark humor. Yeah, moment. the ones that go like direct to TV and don't make it on, or, or they do make it to theaters, but they get like really bad reviews. Where like <laughs> the villain is just like for 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 the cult for humanity or whatever, and like stabs it, and then it explodes in their face, and then they get poisoned, and then but but they're like, you know what? I'm not going to die today because I have this, and then they pull out the antidote. <laughs> And yeah, then they, like, that's quite anticlimactic. Yeah, I just... What? Okay, never mind. So they had antidotes. That's interesting. Mm, I know. Uh, so, like, remember the previous line? The package stayed for four stations. Mm-hmm. This one stayed for 14 stops. What the heck? Wow. I know. That's a lot more. So, wait. During these 14 stops, were people, like, passing out and stuff like that? Mm. And because he, like, stabbed it so much, like, and the effects were he quite, stabbed quite it fast. so violently. Yeah. So, like, uh, two were severely injured. They were carried off the train. But, and one passed away from his injuries. But this is after 14 stops. Yeah. Oh. Not really. Yeah. Wow. I think it got to the point where they, re- they, you know, it was so severe. Wait, do Japanese train carriages not have, like, an emergency button? The way our mm. MRTs do. They have, they have. And they have, they have, they have. but not back in nineteen ninety five, is it? Have 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 have. But nobody went to press the button. I mean, I think in a state of panic, they don't know what's going on. But because now we're like sort of not brainwashed, but we're sort of like seeing so much images about terrorist attacks that we mm-hmm. kind of expect it to happen if something were to go wrong in train stations. But back then, like you don't really think about that. I know, but I just find it interesting because. You know how they say in case of emergency, like pull the emergency lever or whatever, like press the emergency button. Mm-hmm. What emergency lever? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> but that's clearly um an insidious incident happening. And I mean, because it was packed, maybe people thought that you know they were just feeling ill. Cause yeah, I'm thinking somewhere around that. But so many. I think people only are. panics. Only I think only panic sets in when everyone starts to like feel the same way when you see people. Feeling the same way as you do. Okay. I mean, cause not, not uh, the other lines and other trains did press the emergency button. Yeah. Why fourteen stops? Like you should yeah. have pressed the. Em- okay, never mind. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was just this state of panic, and everyone was just like, "Oh God, what are we gonna do?" And no one thought of pressing the emergency button. Mm. <laughs> On that fourteen stop, like the packages with the packages were removed, but the liquid was still in the car. What? Okay. Oh. And the train carried on for another five stops with the passengers on board. Oh, okay. Wow. Chris's face. Is there a manager I can speak to? <laughs> <laughs> what is I going mean, on? I guess they didn't know like like it can evaporate like the liquid. But it's like you wouldn't it's not in your reality that something like this will happen, you know. Okay, but bigger yeah. question, how did they not notice this liquid? Chris, you need to experience yeah. a pack train in Tokyo. <laughs> okay, but 
To be honest, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you really can't see anything. There's no space. Okay. It's like literally you can't so see your own feet. Packed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's just you can't that see your you own feet. See a person, you can only see the person's hair or facial features next to you. Okay, yeah, I, I, I know I'm glad Shen is taller than me. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were face to face. And oh! <laughs> Actually, yeah, but to be honest, I can, I forgot that it was a packed train. In my head, I was just imagining <laughs> this empty train for some reason. Okay, never mind. No. Yeah, like even in Singapore, like even our packed trains, right? There's still this like social, like, like this ease of space between people yeah, yeah, in the yeah, yeah. sense that even if it's packed, right, you still have that space to move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can still see spacing between feet. But mm. in the Tokyo trains, right, you can't, can't see anything because like, I don't know, man, they're just using physics at their best advantage. Like, it's really full and people can still squeeze themselves in by like flinging themselves oh my into God. the train. And you know, yeah, because we're so packed to the point where you can't even fall over. Because everyone's yeah. like supporting each other. That's the yes. thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think in that situation, I can imagine how nobody would have realised that there's a box. Because like, you can't, you're, you're, be- you're trying to already hold on to your life on such a packed train that mm. you won't be able to even spot the box. Yeah, okay, that's true. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> which, makes it, which makes it even scarier because like, this kind of ch- crimes could happen so easily if anybody wanted to you know, just kill people. I feel mm. like if something like this would happen in Singapore, people also wouldn't um, react immediately. I think it's because in Singapore, they have these like um, ads depicting mm. like a... Like, like a, a typical way a suspicious bag looks yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, um, they, they like have a this, bag yeah. Like the, the, a bag left behind. Precisely. But the thing is, in reality, I feel like a lot of people are too embarrassed or shy to want to like report like i remember mm. there was this one time my brother and his friends they saw this bag just left near one of the train doors so they were like okay this is suspicious let's let's do something about it so they went to find someone to report it it t- turns out it was just mm-hmm. like this old man's bag he put it there because he wanted to to like chop the place <laughs> He just wants it to happens quite often. He just wants to keep his spot. So I think incidents like this is what makes people uncomfortable to go report these things. Mm. And it doesn't help that um in in the ads the government puts to uh encourage people to report suspicious items, the scenarios are incredibly wild. You you have this clearly suspicious man wearing all black with a cap coming in, putting this huge bag and then leaving scenarios like this are a bit too obvious like what you um like the incident you men- you mentioned he just stabbed it with the umbrella it was so low key mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah those are the kind of scenarios you have to prepare people for it's the ones where it's not obvious it, and you're yeah. not gonna expect it and that the mm. criminals are actually smart <laughs> yeah precisely you know what if if you are a dumb criminal that's on you <laughs> honestly in this day and age I mean not to condone criminals or whatever but you know if you're gonna commit a murder at least wear gloves okay mm. once again not condoning murder please please don't cancel us if I ever see with gloves the first thing I'll do is run <laughs> 
It's okay. I won't be able to run after you, so that's fine. <laughs> I'm gonna run, man. Just run. And total, like on this ride, there's like one fatality and three hundred fifty-eight seriously injured. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, cause total there's five thousand five hundred people who are injured. Yeah, that's that's a huge number. Mm. Mm. So there was another man on the same line, but heading in the opposite direction. And the man didn't puncture his pa- packages properly. <laughs> so, you know, they each have two packages, right? Yeah. One package, one of his packages was not punctured at all. Mm. And then the other had only a small hole. Okay, <laughs> who, why did they pick these dumbasses to carry out the job? I don't know, maybe he got cold feet. Yeah, maybe. But <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Luckily, he had cold feet though. You have one guy who is overly dramatic with <laughs> his execution. Then the other guy who's just like, um, uh, I don't think I can do this anymore. <laughs> just, softly steps yeah, and leaves. Softly steps. Just like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Job here is done, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, because it was a small hole, and I think uh, the gas was like slower to like evaporate because mm. of like, it wasn't really exposed to the air as much. So it stayed on a train to the last station. How many stations were there? Was there how many how many stations were there? More I didn't ten? count the stations, but I think it's around ten plus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, this is nervous laughter. I'm not laughing because it's funny. <laughs> it's just and by then, you know, obviously people were like um, falling sick, falling ill. Mm-hmm. So at, at the last um, station, the train had been searched and evacuated, but the station attendants couldn't find the package. Did he take it so, with him? No, it's, it's still on the train, but they couldn't find it. So the train resumed its service. So like it went to the uh, like the other direction again. And then passengers soon became ill, obviously. And they alerted the attendants. Because they, they, they could see the package. But the attendants couldn't. Mm. When they were somehow. <laughs> they must suck at Where's Wally. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Wally? Yeah, those pretty sure the packages aren't in stripes though. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> maybe if they were in stripes, they would have found it. Okay, no, maybe they. I honestly think even if it was stripes, even if it had a banner that said it's over here, they wouldn't find it. Well, fair enough. Because I'm thinking, right? This packed train full of people found the package. Mm-hmm. And these attendants who had a empty <laughs> train to search for couldn't find it. What goes on? Mm. Okay. And the packages was finally removed and the floor was mopped but the train still continues like its journey. Mopping doesn't really help in this yeah. situation. But yeah. <laughs> and the train was only put off service like after one hour and 40 minutes after the attack. Oh jeez, that's a long time. Well, that is very long. But lucky the guy, I don't know, he had cold feet so there were no fatalities but 200 were left in serious condition. Oh, yikes. So, on the la- last line, the Hibiya line, the man bound for Tobutskoen station, he quickly punctured his package when he got on the train and then left the next station. Okay. So, he, he was only on the train for two minutes. So, which is, is you really finally fast. have a competent, competent person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, the attack on a train caused like one fatality and seriously injured 532 passengers. Oh, Jesus Christ. Wow. Mm. That's then there was another man. There was another man on the train like in the opposite direction, like going in the opposite direction and mm-hmm. he punctured the packages when the train reached Akihabara station. It was discovered that out of all the like the attackers, he punctured the packages the most. Oh. 
another over he <laughs> and the um dude who screamed the mantra should just he didn't scream he muttered oh he muttered it yeah um the two of them should just I don't know <laughs> work together again actually no wait what am I trying to say <laughs> they should just ride off into the sunset together yeah <laughs> the two of them so one stop one stop later the passengers are like quickly like feeling the effects of the gas and one passenger noticed the packages and guessed that that was the culprit and he kicked the pack the packages out of the train car onto the platform oh my god a hero uh not so fast I mean, not a hero <laughs> as a result four people on the platform died oh jesus christ oh my god yeah Oh my god, a oh. not a hero, not a hero, I take that back, redacted, redacted. <laughs> but then, if you think about it, if he if he didn't kick it out of the car, would people die in the train instead? Yeah, but it's that, it's that story where it's, I know, it's, it's like, like yeah. would you save <laughs> a bunch of people on the train, or would you like, kill four people? Oh no. He must have feel, felt so guilty yeah, after that. Yeah, he must though. have felt so guilty. I, I guess it was like a instinctual Instinct. reaction to like, kick it out of the train. Mm. Oh, and he wouldn't know. Yeah, I don't think... Oh, no. But, like, even if the package <laughs> gone, the liquid puddle is still in the train car. Oh, Christ. Okay. And the train was, like, taken out of service five stops after the attack. Five? Oh, no. And, like, uh, passages... Oh, the liquid like, thing is so smart. It's... I mean, if I wanted to take out a large group of people at the same time, I wouldn't have thought of putting a box of, like, you know, gas and liquid... I mm. think it's pretty smart. Like, and they chose like the right time and the right kind of like crowd. Yeah. To I mean, they have done previous attacks, so like they know how to carry it out, you know. Fair enough as well. Effectively. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's so well executed. Like, like not that I'm not, saying not that well it's executed. great. There were a few dumbasses who... But... <laughs> But it's a pretty good plan. Like, if if anyone were to want to, you know, kill a large group of people, like, this is... This was a pretty smart plan. I guess back in honestly, life, I think, it would be... Honestly, I think even today, like, even if we were to put a box of, like, like um, gas and liquid in Singapore MRT stations, like, would it really be traced so quickly? I feel like it will go down a few stops before people start realising there's something wrong yeah. and suspicious of the box. I mean, going hand-in-hand hand with what I said earlier, people are... They're, they're too shy to even want to report it as well. Mm. Right. Yeah, Singaporeans have a lot of second-guessing. And I also think it's because of the way we are taught. Like, you brought up just now, like, the way we have been, like, like condition into it uh, per se because I feel like a lot of Singaporeans when they're looking out for suspicious bags they're looking out for like that black yeah the <laughs> bulky bag the clearly, sunglasses cap essentially the clearly suspicious looking thing yeah so wow but you know if anybody would to commit such a crime in Singapore I honestly think there will be a large number of fatalities as well yeah definitely so if you look at the video, like the videos from the attack, you can see people stumbling out of the train cars and collapsing on oh the platform. Yeah, it's mm, it's pretty like sad to look at. It's really and if you see the like video reenactions of like how the attackers carried out the attack, you can see how sophisticated it was. Yeah, are there videos out there that are still circulating? 
I mean, not a, not of the attackers, but the that the, the aftermath, like of people just stumbling out mm. the cars and losing consciousness, that kind of videos. Mm-hmm. But the, if you see the reenactment of the like the attackers, you can tell that they are like you know it's all planned out really like really well. Mm. Were they all caught though? Mm mm mm. It was oh, like a dang. big manhunt and stuff. Okay. So after the attack, the cult's facilities was raided and members were arrested. And out of the 10 men that were involved in the attack that day, five were sentenced to life imprisonment and five were sentenced to death. Oh, okay. How did they differ between? Because some were involved in other attacks also. Mm. Oh, okay. So they have okay. heavier crime. And okay, okay. I think some of the life imprisonment ones are the getaway drivers. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm. That makes sense. Interesting. Okay. So the leader of the cult, he faced 27 counts of murder in 13 separate indictments. And the, but he, and his trial took more than seven years to conclude. Seven years? Mm. So on, on like February 27, 2004, he was sentenced to death and he was executed on July 6, 2018. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Actually, that's, yeah, that's it's what really, that's what they yeah, I remember things. watching the news. I was like, wait, he's still alive? No, no. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I remember, I remember um, the news about that. And at the time, I didn't know what it was about. So I was like, oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I was like, quite shocked. Like, I didn't know he was still alive at that point. Yeah, it's not shocking. Because like, most of the time for like, um, death row set, um, prisoners, right? They try to put them on in isolation for the longest period of time. Kind yeah. of also to drive them mentally, like, just to test their mental strength and also to kind of, like, punish them in a way that is still pretty legal. Because, like, that is such a long time yes, being by yes. yourself. Um, um, yeah, he was... no family members as well. He has family members, but he yeah, chose yeah. to, like, not keep in contact with his lawyers or family members. Mm. Oh, he... Ch- Oh, okay. Because I think in Singapore, if you're a death row inmate, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to meet people from the outside. Uh, in the US as well. Like, There's this great YouTube channel called Jim Can't Swim. He he does a lot of um, like crime interrogation videos. It's very informative. Um, I'm not sure if this particular video is still up, but he did this one covering um inmates on death row in the US and it's mm-hmm. it's horrific it's really, really horrific because they keep them in isolation and it gets to the point where these inmates they have no one to talk to right they lose the ability to speak so Correct. they can't even pronounce easy words they can barely mm. read easy words um oh. i remember there's this one clip of this inmate who just kept barking he just kept barking non-stop and I guess from an outsider, when you look at him, he he looks crazy. He looks like he's manic, right? Mm. But they interviewed him and he said, it's the only way to keep myself sane because mm. there's no one to talk to. So mm. I, I, I bark in order to, in a way, communicate, in order to keep like my verbal ability. Mm. It's, it's, and also with the US system, these inmates can be on death row, so in isolation for years, like more than 20 years. So it really, yeah. it really deteriorate, 
deteriorates their mental ability. Mm. It reduces them to literally like nothing but a shell. Mm. I mean, okay, I think at least in Singapore, it's not that bad. Uh, Singapore is actually quite fast. No, actually. Like, I know. I mean, compared to other countries. Do. Correct, correct, yeah. Mm. But it's still quite scary, per se, because, like, even if it's like two years, that's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time. Like, being yeah. by yourself. And if you're not even allowed to meet your family members. And you're not allowed to have that, you know, that free time that other prisoners have. Yeah. So you're basically mm. just in an isolation. You're just in isolation by yourself. And the warden that occasion- occasionally checks on you. Yeah, but they don't they don't talk to you either. You don't have conversations with them. It's not mm. yeah. it's not a healthy communicative relationship, you know what I mean? Actually, mm. I think in the Singapore prison there is like healthy communication between the warden and the prisoners, just not within death row prisoners and the wardens. Yeah, maybe. But I, I don't know much about the prison system in Singapore because mm. I feel like we hardly hear or learn about it. So I guess it's something Correct. we can look yeah. into. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I knew somebody who went into prison and then it's just quite interesting to hear the stories. Like, I never thought... Okay, honestly, I've kind of forgot that Singapore still does like hanging. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So like uh, my my yeah, my relative that was like in prison during a period of time, I think there were two uh, hangings that were committed. So she was telling me that it's very uh, very clear when the hanging commits because like, you know, they have no sense of time in there. So it happens at dawn, like in, in the mm-hmm. early mornings, like mm-hmm. 6 a.m. And, and after the person dies, they will ring a bell in the prison. So every prisoner will know that, you know, this person has been hanged oh, yeah. yeah so i i never thought about it like I, I i don't know why i was never curious to know how singapore kind of like hangs its prisoners but well at at dawn if you're near changi and you hear uh, a bell ringing it's probably a no apparently a you can hear prisoner. yeah i told I, me that if you were nearby you could hear also like at the market yeah, the residents in the area can actually hear oh god i don't know personally but, but i'm most of, not in support of capital punishment. Like, mm. uh, in general, I feel like prison systems uh, need a lot of reform. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, even... even Especially if, in the US. Especially in the US. But it's just, you know, you can say that Singapore's prison system is slightly better, but I just feel like prison systems in general, they don't help inmates in any way. Mm. Mm. What you... I'm because I'm a strong believer in reform, so I genuinely don't believe that incarcerating these people are going to do anything. Especially because it's so counterintuitive. Like you have the yellow ribbon project that's like, oh, please employ inmates, please treat them like regular human beings. But then you have this entire prison system and like people and like a societal uh, teaching that tells you that these people are bad and they're always going to be bad. And then within the prison system itself you don't do anything to rehabilitate or reform them or give them any opportunity to reintegrate into society. Actually, right, I think there's a lot of things that we don't learn about prison systems. So yeah. actually in prison I, I know systems, in Singapore, right? we do have programs. Like, okay. There, there, there are stories yeah. of um, people who manage to complete their, their A-levels while in prison and stuff like that. Correct, yeah. But those are like the one-off stories we hear. Like, okay, I think... I think it's just that we are not taught a lot about it. But then, like, my relative who was in prison, there's actually so many things that happened in prison. Like, um, there are many more opportunities than we are actually taught that they are. 
For example, mm-hmm. like, um, I don't think many people know about this, but I recently watched this like documentary called 13. Yes. It's on the prison system mm. in America. And it just made me realize how profit-driven prison systems are and possibly even the Singapore prison. Because yes. like when, when you are in prison, right? You know big brands like Zara? Mm-hmm. You know who does their like tagging of their price tags? Like in Singapore? Are they inmates? Yeah, they're inmates. Or at Forever 21, they're all inmates. Mm-hmm. They're actually doing it. Um, so it's it's kind of like their rehabilitation program in a sense that at least they have that sensing of like everyday life while they're serving their sentence. Because like, they are given many opportunities to do different things. Like um, they're allowed to do this kind of things like tagging. They're allowed to be chefs. Um, so things. Yeah, but mm. do, you, do you see what all these things have in common? They're like hard labor work. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, that, that's in terms another thing of social mobility after leaving prisons, right, they can only ever get jobs that are labour-intensive. And knowing Singapore, labour-intensive work is often viewed as, like, lower class, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's... Th- th- that's the kind of thing I, I mean by the fact that they will constantly always be stigmatised Correct, mm. yeah, fair enough, yeah. So, I do agree that it needs to be reformed, but how? The answer, yeah, I'm not how sure. No, but I think answer. because it's yeah. a system, you know what I mean? You mm. you cannot dismantle systems in a day. It takes yeah, a lot and a yeah, lot of correct. willing people. I mean, no offence, but also full offence to Singapore. The, the migrant worker dormitories, for years, people were, were petitioning for better living and working conditions. And it took COVID-19 to seriously affect their community in order for like the government and for other Singaporeans to want to do so much for them. Which is just mind-boggling because for years, and we, we learn it in school as well because there are different um, volunteer groups in our schools or whatever that go out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they educate people and say like, hey, these are like the terrible living conditions that they are staying in. Um, the food mm-hmm. they get are expired food. Their employers like barely give a shit about them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for so long, this has fallen on deaf ears, even though there are so many organizations trying to help them out. And like only this year in 2020, the hmm. government steps in and they're like, okay, we are going to build better housing areas for them. It's just, yeah. it's just, anyway. Yeah, it's, it's good to have such conversations and I think society and people need to have start having such conversations because it's a topic that is like often like shunned, shunned on or like avoided. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hopefully people are having healthy conversations. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, uh, you don't want to see Facebook. <laughs> oh no, yeah. I just stay off of <laughs> Facebook. I cannot with the ignorance. Yeah. Mm. Facebook does give me some good sites for like you know news cause like there's so many people who are just posting random stuff are they even like reliable news oh my gosh yeah 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 they do they do cite reliable news that's, that's the interesting thing it's like things that I would have never been reading about that I get to read mm-hmm. but then on on the other hand there are like people who post really weird stuff but you know <laughs> yeah okay shall we go on to our next story sure is Honda's story is done uh oh yeah just to conclude like the <laughs> cult group yeah it, Honda was just like, yeah, I guess we could move on, but... Because <laughs> like, it went on a tangent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it went. Yeah, it really did. Okay, the cult group still is actually still somewhat alive today. Oh, God. What? Yeah, it, oh, it renamed man. and it's called Aleph. What? 
Yeah. And it, it has around 2,000 plus members. Oh, and they're still recruiting. Oh, man. Oh, man. They renounced their violent past, but they still follow the spiritual teachings of Asahara. Mm, which okay. doesn't make sense to me, you know. Oh god! Like okay. you, you renounce the violence past, but violent like past, and then you still follow the teachings of the violent dude. That's just okay. You know what? No thoughts. Hit empty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yeah no thoughts. This story, like this attack, is like even scarier because like my mom was in Tokyo. Like, she was working in Tokyo when this <gasps> happened. Oh my god! Oh wow! And she had she had colleagues coming into work feeling ill because oh. they were on those lines. Whoa. Holy shit. And they still came to work because they didn't know what happened to them. Oh my god. Yeah. Holy and shit. I'm lucky that she doesn't like taking the trains and she took <laughs> us to work. <laughs> How old is your mom yeah. around that time? Early 20s. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, 25, I think. Oh gosh, okay. Asahara is actually a very fascinating individual. Oh yeah, if you see the documentary by Channel News Asia, it's on the full episodes on YouTube. They delve more into his character and his and like I don't know his charismaticness. Yeah, I know he was partially blind. Mm. And um, when he was younger, he went to a special school and. Because he was only partially blind, apparently he used to bully the other kids and make them do things for him. So from mm. from an mm-hmm. early age, he was already, you know, this kind mm. of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we should do an episode just on him. He's he's really a very fascinating individual. I mean, he even has like uh, like an anime for <laughs> him. Like, dedicated for him. Whoa. He made an anime. Oh my god. <laughs> I saw it and it was like... I was like, what the hell is this? Actually, it's quite interesting. interesting. A lot of these um cult leaders end up like delving into like music or all these like sort of like animation or whatever. Like for example... Yeah, he, he mystifies himself. Yeah, like Charles Manson, for example. Oh, mm. oh my God. Okay, we have to do an episode on the Manson family because... <laughs> Oh my god, Charles Manson is just so fascinating. But like he... He, tr- <laughs> he, he got into music and stuff like that. It's just very interesting. Mm. Yeah, I love cults. Okay, not I love cults, but I love <laughs> learning about cults. Okay, I don't love cults. <laughs> yeah, but I love um listening and learning about cults. And just so many out there. I think one of the mm. first cults I ever heard about was um One Jehovah's Witness. Who doesn't know them? Um mm. then also They're still in Singapore. Yeah, they're still in Singapore. Um then the Manson family. What's another cult I know? Uh, what's the name of that Moonies. cult? Moonies. Yes. Oh my god. The mass <laughs> the mass weddings just wild. I mean they've they've kind of dwindled in numbers, but mm-hmm. it's just wow dude, the Moonies are just mm. you can do a story on them, please. Oh my god, I love I love cults. <laughs> but I love learning about cults. I don't I'm not in a cult, everyone. Please believe me. <laughs> oh no, Chris is a charismatic cult leader. Oh my god. Actually, welcome to my cult. Um, In our cult, we do nothing but play Animal Crossing. I knew mm. you were going to say that. <laughs> and I also kind of, you know, I was just waiting for it. Nintendo, hey, sponsor me. And Milo, since we're talking about sponsorships, Milo, sponsor me as well. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I'm gonna start sharing my story today. Um, 
it can get a bit spooky because I got quite spooked out reading about it. Um, and I went to ask my mom about it as well. Because um, <laughs> it's very close and personal to me, at least. So this story is very close to us. It's very close to home. And today's story is from Singapore. <gasps> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. So I think even under like how pragmatic we are as a nation, the supernatural and superstitions are just weaved into our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. So um, this story I actually found on Reddit by this uh, user called Robin Chuan. Uh, and I'll call the author, you know, Robin for the story. Mm-hmm. And her story actually revolves around black magic. Oh, oh my mm. god. Okay. Mm. So, okay. I think when I read the story, I chose it because it reminded me so much of my childhood as well. So, Robin um, converted to Christianity when she was a child, but she was raised in a Buddhist household. Like, so there are a mm. number of Chinese households in Singapore that have this kind of incidences where it's a Buddhist family, but then you grow up being Christian. So you actually kind mm. of convert, but it's because of your own your own means of conversion. It's not really because of your family members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, even though his parents were not like super strict, in, uh, her parents were not super strict in their beliefs, they kept an altar in the corridor of their home and offered it incense to it, you know? So, okay. like, in many Chinese households, you see, like, the altar, like, you know, with, mm. like, um, the gods that they believed in and, you know, the red light, everything. So, Mm-mm. if you think about it, it's actually quite a scary image, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Robin's father actually owned a small business in Singapore and it was quite smooth for a few years. They lived comfortably and were able to afford the lifestyle that they wanted, which we all know that is a privilege in Singapore already to yeah. be able to live comfortably and you know, because everything is so expensive here. Mm-hmm. So um, suddenly, his her father's um, business started to drop. Oh, okay. Which I guess happens pretty often in Singapore because our business landscape is not the most ideal. So it's very, you know, it's very up and down. Yeah, it's very volatile. Yeah, very volatile. So um, her father actually told him about this thing called the Kumantong, which was known to bring good luck and fortune to its owner. So Kumantong, it's actually literally translated as a golden sacrificed young boy. And it's popular in Thai religion. And even though it's not a Buddhist practice, uh, many people do consider it as such. So Buddhism is actually one of the biggest religions, I think, in, in Thailand. When you go to Thailand, there are a lot yeah, of temples. Yeah, yeah. Even my parents go to Thailand mm. to go to their temples every year, you know, to pray for their businesses and life in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, authentic kumantongs originate from the practice of necromancy. So, oh my god, okay. So, we're going there, huh? Necromancy. <laughs> <laughs> so we're skipping that. It's just like a brief, you know, (laughs) insight. Skipping necromancy. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Kumantongs are actually obtained from their desiccated fetuses of children who actually died in their mother's womb. Oh my god. Okay. Wait. So, desiccated beings dried up. Horror movie. No, wait, no, there's another... It sounds like a horror movie. There's another ghost. Is it the Pontianak? Yes, but that one is the mother. The this mother. one is the that is the fetus of the oh, child. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. So, um, mm. you know, witch doctors um were said to be able to invoke these stillborn babies 
adopt them as their children and use them. So to make a kumandong, the unborn fetus would be first surgically removed from the womb of its mother. Then the body of this fetus would be brought to the cemetery to kind of like have this ceremonial ritual to invoke a kumantong, which oh, you know is God. like a spirit. Yeah. And but then the body will be... this is with the mother's permission, is it? Well, I guess some are with and some are without, but I think most of the time it's without. But I also think that nowadays, because kumantongs are still very prevalent nowadays, mm-hmm. so I think nowadays it's with the mother's consent. Because like, honestly, if you think about it, like if you... If you run like a clinic in Thailand and the mother wants to, you know, you, the mother has to get rid of the child or her life will be in danger because mm-hmm. it's literally a dried up fetus in her womb. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in that sense, why would the mother want to keep the child? So, yeah. So I think a lot of them are also, I think they also, the mothers, perhaps like there are some kind of, you know, hidden deals that we're not sure of that, you know, um, the mothers can sell these like unborn fetuses. So okay. mm. why not, right? It's, a, it's actually just, it's just be... lucrative. La. Yeah, in that sense, I guess so. But I'm very sure in the past, it would have been o- obtained in much um, more unwilling terms. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so anyway, so this like fetus chow would be, you know, roasted dry while the, the witch doctor chants spells. So once oh, the rat was completed... Dry. Yeah, the dry roasted fetus would oh be kind of... Make it sound like a coffee. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> hey, everyone. Be... These are freshly roasted coffee beans made out of a dry fetus. Yeah. Oh my god, so, okay. It will be painted in this thing called yalak, which is like a lacquer to kind of use to cover amulets. So I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a Thai amulet. Oh, I've seen mm. them on Carousel. Oh yeah, there are a lot. What section of Carousel are you on? I don't know, but I came across no, it I, I, Yeah, I've, I've seen them a lot on Carousel as well. They're in random... They're under random hash, hashtags. There's actually so, like, a side of Carousel that sells black magic stuff. You just have to yeah, search for is, it. there is. Yeah, there mm. is. Yeah. Oh my god. So, so yeah, after they're painted in the lacquer, they're covered with a gold leaf. And thus, they have, you know, that name which translates to Golden Little Boy. So, um... Some kumantongs are actually soaked in... I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but namantrai, which is a kind of oil that's extracted um, by burning a candle close to the chin of a dead child or a person who died in a violent circumstance or an unnatural death. Okay, that's Uh, very specific. Yeah. And not in a pleasant way. Yeah. Um, But... I guess this is the, the, the world and realm of black magic. It, it, you know, they obtain a lot of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the collection of the oil is actually much less common now because the practice is actually considered illegal oh, if they are actually using... Well, thank fat. God it's illegal. Yeah, because they're using f- the, the fat from, you know, human babies for the oil. So, so oh now it's God. illegal. In the past, pretty sure it's not. Yeah, but okay, occasionally there are still amulets that are obtained through these kind of authentic methods. You know mm. what, just... CPS, take those children away. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So now nowadays, kumantongs are made by monks and evil priests from the bones, hairs, or cremated powder of the baby. Some are obtained through the black market from recent abortions. You see, th- these are oh the God. kind of things when I hear, I'm just like, this is straight out from a movie. It cannot possibly be real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, 
evil evil monks evil what was it evil no no not e- it's not even evil um so i i think okay when i continue this story you will realize that kumantongs are not exactly evil I, they can be good as well no not not the i'm not i'm not referring to them as evil you you said monks and evil something priests yeah evil yeah. priests like how does those two no, words like go I together think, i think no monks they're real you know what i mean evil priests honestly they are yeah, I know they are but it's just it's so wild to think about like, yeah um, it's so wild to think about but like my mom okay I'll tell you more about my story because okay. I do have like a personal story behind <gasps> this as well okay so so yeah so Robin's father's friend actually mentioned to you know her father about how Kumantongs and how helpful they are in helping him to get promotion in the place they work. So, a lot of people actually own kumantongs because they are believed to, mostly owned by men actually, because kumantongs are actually believed to, if you own them, you kind of get girls to be attracted to you, that's one. And another is that your business will prosper. And not say it's the kind that will prosper in the sense that you earn a lot of money suddenly, but in a sense that your business will be very stable. Like, it will be stable it, it won't fluctuate, which I think most people, you know, because the Kumantong is not, it can be an evil spirit, but ultimately it's still a child. Yes, so yes. it's very easy to appease. So I guess mm. in that sense, you know, the more evil the spirit is, the more, the higher your success is in that sense. Oh, yeah. So the fact that it's just a child is like, um, like a safe bet, like a, a smooth sailing kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Okay, reminder so, from last week's story, please don't feed spirits. Just don't do yes. it. Yes. <laughs> so, Robin's father is actually fascinated and he wanted an easy way out of his troubles, which was his like sudden business, you know, kind mm. of thing. So, he went to a Thai temple to obtain his kumantong from a monk, which is most of the time the easiest way to obtain a kumantong immediately other than having like brokers we, we have those brokers in Singapore as well mm-hmm. yeah carousel so um, <laughs> yeah carousel collections please don't yeah. do it please don't do it yeah so um, when Robin's father first brought back to kumantong Robin and his mother was kind of indifferent because like they heard many things many good things about it and also because it was just an amulet and also because mm. he wasn't really educated about it and thought it was just like you know, another Buddhist, you know, deity statue mm, in the oh, altar. Because, yeah. you know, not many, especially because Robin is Christian. So I don't think she actually really went to inquire on what it is. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, you know, if it, it it brings prosperous results, then why not? Mm. Yeah. So um, Robin's father I mean, it does go told, against Christian beliefs, but you know what? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fine. But I think she didn't really question it because it's more like a... It, it's, it was seen as more of like a deity, deity figure in their household. Yeah. And she wasn't really educated about it. So she really didn't bother to ask at all. Because like she was not going to worship. But Robin's father actually told her that she has to treat the Kumantong or this deity as if it was alive and part of her family. Yeah. Okay. So the her father actually mentioned to her that the purpose of owning a Kumantong was so that um, they can help it, you know, move on and reincarnate through good deeds. So like, you know, you help maintain like someone's business and bring good things to their life so they, they kind of get happy and they reincarnate. Yeah. The Kumantong statue that Robin had was of a toddler depicted to be about three years old. The statue was a mad grey. Um, but his pens and accessories like arms and bracelets, hair tie necklace were painted in gold. 
and a gold tie writing was printed all over his arms and back. He sat cross-legged and had his hands pressed together in front of his chest. And upon um, this Kumantong's arrival, his parents actually created a mini altar beside the one they already had. Because he had, this Kumantong had to be treated like um, he was alive. So it was a male, it was a male fetus. So um, mm. his parents placed things on the altar that toddlers usually like. Um, he was still a little boy after all, if you would think about it that way. So they had the to buy like... I have chills right now. I had chills when I read this oh, as well. The yeah. way, I think it's because... You have to treat this entity like a living, breathing child. Something about yes. that is just God. super creepy. Yeah. Okay. So they actually bought him like pacifiers, sweets, soft drinks and toys and gave him a nickname, which was Titi, which means little brother in Chinese. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so actually, um, Kumantongs, from what I've read, and I've also asked my mom about this, um, they're very easy to appease in the sense that because they're still a child, you feed them sweet things every day, like sweets and soft drinks, and, and, and that appease them. But I think there are some people that actually do offer them blood. Oh but, my god, okay. What? But it, okay. It, it, does, it does differ. Every meal, Robin's mother would actually set aside an extra bowl of food for the Kumantong and actually ask, you know, um, the Kumantong to join them for dinner. And sometimes, um, her father would actually ask her to play with him by rolling the toy car at the altar. So it's like the family really tried to treat the 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 figure as a son, even though you know you could really never see it. So Robin really never thought much about it. She grew up in a house where she thought, you know, uh, there were many Buddhist statues and she was pretty much used to them. And even though um, she already had converted into Christianity, she was not going to force her religion into her family. She still entertained like the, the entity, right? No, I think she just like, for example, like the father just asked her to roll the car over to the altar and then she just did it like because her father asked her oh, to. Out of obligation. But I don't think she went to worship. Yeah, correct. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh gosh, so, so um, So like, well, after really having the Kumantong, her father's business actually picked up and was doing well again. Robin actually felt like it was a placebo effect, mm. but she just kept her mouth mm. quiet and let them believe what they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she never really believed in this until she had a particular incident or encounter with this. So, um, she she's actually a university student, and she usually had to be awake at around six forty five a.m. to go for work. So she she does a part time job. So six forty five a.m. to go to work, and she has to leave the house by seven thirty to reach there on time. So that day, I think she was really tired. And she turned off the alarm on her phone. You know those kind of days where you like wake up a bit mm. and then you know the alarm is ringing and you kind of like are so tired you just intentionally turn off your alarm. But it's not like you want to turn off your alarm. Mm. So you fall back mm-hmm. asleep. Yes, yeah. yes. So, <laughs> so actually, it was already 7... She didn't even know it, but it was around already 7am and she felt like in her sleep there was somebody pulling her leg and she, you know, reflexively kind of put it back without thinking mm-hmm. of it and then um, and then it wasn't like like she described it not to be like a harsh like pull you know not like those that you see in uh, the horror movies like a tug you know like someone just telling you to wake up like so a small she just... child tugging yeah <laughs> so, oh no <laughs> so she said like she, she said like stop it and then she kind of mumbled it in her sleep and then oh she heard like someone say which oh, means no. big sister in Chinese it's time to wake up 
she heard the voice like beside her ear. <laughs> so, you know, her eyes instantly shot open and she looked around her room and um, she was the only child and had no siblings. So, it scared the shit out of her when she heard a little boy's um, oh, voice God. beside her ear. First of all, what so, is up with these ghosts and going up to a person's ear to say something? <laughs> like the broken neck lady did the same thing. <laughs> Spirits, if you're out yeah. there, please don't do it. Just don't. Yeah. I've, actually, I've actually had an encounter with a spirit actually whispering in my ear. Shen, no. Yeah, but, but I, I honestly, to today, I'm just still brushing it off as me being paranoid because I was alone at home. Everybody had gone to work and I was about to leave for work as well. And I heard someone um say good morning to me at the back. It was a what? very, very like deep male voice that was on my, like this, like it was behind me. But I could feel like that, that hot air. So I was really scared. I, I ran out of the house, like, even though it was not time to leave the house yet. But it still rings in my head today. So yeah, I think perhaps their closest way of like communicating to you. Because like, if they were sitting in front of you, or you won't be able to hear. So yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so for Robin, she, till the day she wasn't really, she's still not sure whether it's just her mind making up things or she really heard, you know, the voice. She said that before she left the house, she passed by the altars in the corridor and, you know, she kind of side-glanced at the Kumantong and she said she she swears that the usually expressionless face was replaced with a slight smile. Oh, no. Yeah. So... Oh, why was it happy? Because it woke her up? No, I think oh, it's because, you know, like, it's just like your brother did something. Like, if you treat it like a child, then it's like, you, you did something then, you know, like, you're, before you leave work, your sibling will be like, bye. Oh, my, my siblings God. never do no. that. Well, you... Where can um, I then, replace them? Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, she ended the story with saying, you know, she reached work on time and it was thankful, thankful to the spirit that lives in his house. So, actually, when I read this story, right, I, I really, like, resonated really well with this because my entire family is also Buddhist and I was actually kind of, like, brought up Christian. Like, I went to church when I was young. You um, went to study mm-hmm. the Bible, dude. Yeah, Yes. Actually, when I heard this story, I went to ask my mom about it. Because I told you guys before that my mom has, you know, like a lot of like dwindlings in like third eye. So I just went to ask her if she has ever heard about this thing like Kumantong. Because, you know, she goes to Thailand every year as well. Kind of pray for a business. So I'm so sure she she would have heard of something like that. She told me, yeah, it's actually very commonly used. And I asked her if she's, it's commonly used in Singapore. She said yes, but not as much as in the past. But then like in Malaysia, it actually is actually used very frequently. So a lot of people keep kumantongs. Because honestly, kumantong is one of those spirits that, you know, you just need to leave food and keep them happy and they won't do anything mean or harmful. Because they're, mm. they're a child. Yeah. So, but then my mom actually mm-hmm. told me this story that made me really, really scared. So it was, um, it was a story. It's a very personal story, but I guess I'll just share. My grandfather actually passed away a few years ago. Maybe like five, six years ago, if I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. So I actually grew up with my, my grandfather and... um surprisingly enough like I've been to his like his house so this grandfather is like from my mother's side so my mom's father so I've been to his house like when I was super young so maybe when I was seven but till today the feelings and you know the 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 memory of the altar in his house is still stuck in like my head because mm-hmm. um my my grand my great-grandmother's house has an altar but it's just your very ordinary altar with like, you know, your your deity and then the red light and, you know, your incense offerings. But my grandfather's altar was 100% different. He had all of that. And when you enter his house, his entire living room is plastered with, you know, your 
your what's what's that little you know those papers that you get like not offerings but you go to a temple and you get like a little prayers to kind of protect you uh, so he had that plastered all over so maybe like a hundred of them so these yellow and white yellow papers or like oh. white and black papers they are plastered all over the living room holy shit and I've never really questioned it because I guess I was also a child. But the mm. fact that I still remember it till today still scares me. So I, I asked my mom about it because I've always suspected that my 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 grandfather um has touched, you know, or played with black magic before. Mm-hmm. Because his house to me was very, very eerie. And I'm so sure I have memories of things that happened to me when I was staying over at his house. But what I remember is just that when you sleep, right, you know, the outer, the brightness, that luminance of that red light, yeah. it, mm-hmm. it kind of seeps through every room. So I still remember sleeping and I would hide under the blanket because the red light scared me so much. So, mm. I yeah, imagine. it's... Right? Mm. So I actually asked my mom about my, my grandfather... So my mom actually told me, and this happened last night because I was telling her that I was going to do this story. And she told me that actually um, my grandfather, his cause of death um, is actually suspected to be because of the kumantong that actually that he had um, in his house. So my grandfather, um, I think when, when he was younger, he probably was a debt collector. So in that sense, he needed a lot of protection. Mm-hmm. So one of the means of protection that he had was owning a kumantong. And um, I'm not sure what other spirits, because I've never asked my grandmother, mm. and my mom is not super close to my grandfather, but I guess I'll ask my grandmother someday. But um, <laughs> he, had, he owned a kumantong, and I think the reason why there were so many of these like, papers plastered all over his living room was kind of to protect himself from the mm-hmm. Kumantong. Mm. So I heard from my mom that, so my grandfather is the, from my memory, he was the nicest guy. Like he's, he's not violent at all. But um, mm. there was this one night where he woke up and, because my, my, my grandfather was a debt collector, so he had things like, for example, a parang. So he, he kind of woke up at around 3am and my grandmother woke up at the same time and, he, he picked up his parang and he was waving into the air and asking um, something not to kill him. Like speaking in Hokkien. And he chased this thing, his parang, all the way to my, uh, my great grandmother's house. Because they were living like oh, wow. um, a few blocks, okay, not a few blocks, but like a few streets away. So it was in Tiongbaru's. And my, um, my grandfather, obviously, if you see a man at 3am running around with a parang, the police will catch up with you. Yeah. So he was, uh, yeah. yeah, he was, he was brought to the hospital and then, um, as he was, he was brought to the police station and he was running a really high fever, like super high fever. Um, so they actually, um, they sent him to the hospital and they didn't check my grandfather's allergy. So, um, he was actually allergic oh. to this particular medicine and they, the doctors actually injected this medicine for his high fever and, and that was the ultimate cause of his death. But um, my mom said that the reason why um, he even had the high fever and was chasing after something was probably because he did something that didn't appease the Kumantong. And my mom believes that it's because my grandfather, um, even though the Kumantong is a younger like a child's spirit and you're most of the time supposed to feed it sweets. Mm-hmm. My mom believes that my grandfather may have fed it with blood. Oh, so, Jesus Christ. So when the sudden lack of blood is there, 
um, then you know the commandant must have been angered. Mm. 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 And then um, started to turn against him. And hence that night he was screaming, you know, like stay away from me, don't kill me. And and I guess it was a bit scary because it was but he was I mean, I never really questioned how my my grandfather died because I was too young mm. and I wasn't allowed to mm-hmm. attend his funeral either because I was too young mm. and my mom said it was bad luck. So I never really questioned it. So it's quite odd that coming across this story, I felt like I was so drawn to this story because of how personal it felt. And after mm. telling it to my mom and learning that my grandfather's cause of death was actually because he owned a kumantong, uh, it made me quite scared. And my mom actually said that there are a lot of people in Singapore that own kumantongs, like a lot. And she knows people that actually owns them. And, you know, it's quite scary, I guess, in that sense that even in our society today, it's so prevalent to own this kind of spirits just to allow you to prosper. Oh my god. And black magic is really another world that many people in Singapore don't talk about. And and I think it's also very kind of intertwined with a lot of Asian culture. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And the superstitions that it carries. So I very much believe in in black magic. I think it's a it's a very real thing. And I have a lot of stories on black magic which I can share other time on, you know, in other stories. But I think black magic is something that is so scary because it's so around us. In the sense that it can scare you to a point where you don't even know whether somebody is using black magic against you. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, so the, so the moral of the story is basically just don't <laughs> offend anyone. Because, you know... And I think it's even worse like, in the working world because there are a lot of people that actually use spirits to get an advantage. Yeah, it's a bad idea. It's just... It's, yeah, it's, but many people want the quick way out of yeah. it. Like, you just need to yeah. treat this figure like a child. So, so... So why not? Like, doesn't do you doesn't do you any harm? Okay. Like, especially when you get the. I guess to me, it was quite interesting that, um, Kwantong is very popular because it's really just a child. Like, there are many other spirits that you can actually get. That, that you can own a lot of different kind of spirits under black magic. You can own uh, uh, just very scary spirits. Like you can own spirits who die in a very unjust manner, and people yeah. who own these spirits normally um want to avenge. And use the spirits to kind of like, you know, because the spirits do want to kill. So, um, there are many people who own this kind of spirits as well. Mm. So, it was just very interesting when I read about Kumantong because it's really a child and they're known to be so innocent. And honestly, they're just like, they're just, they just failed to have like a life. But yet, people are exploiting these children to actually commit like, to actually mm. bring them like good luck. And, and my mom did bring up this point is that, um, you never know if people are actually, children are actually getting killed just for the sake of creating like kumantongs because yeah. they're actually really really popular yeah, yeah. and if it, it's a lucrative business to even get them you know what I mean like as you mentioned yeah before. exactly mm. and and there are many people in Singapore who sell as well like you like you literally said like you can find them on Carousel yeah you can find them on Carousel you know what I found interesting about your story was um how your grandfather had a fever so, mm-hmm. I remember my mom saying that apparently when you see ghosts, you get a fever. And it just mm-hmm. reminded me of... Remember where our council camp was? Okay, context <laughs> oh, for man. everyone out there listening to us. So, Shen Honda and I were not really... Did we become closer because of council? Anyway, we were in the student council together. 
<laughs> and, oh man, and you're listening. Memories. Memories. Uh, maybe we'll say some council stories at some point. But anyway, um, so every year council um has this thing called council camp, and it's basically to introduce the first years into council, and you know, like an orientation for them. And oh my god, Honda, is that the rain outside your window? It's not raining that much though. Oh, I hear intense rain. Huh? Mine's not raining as well. I'm so creeped out. I hear rain. Okay, never mind, never mind, never mind. Never mind. Huh? Can you imagine yesterday? <laughs> yesterday when my mom was telling me about my grandfather's story, like door started like like the we were in the living room and the door started like you know like there was wind pushing against it. Then my mom and I just looked at each other and we we're just like, <laughs> oh my god. like oh god, let's bring this conversation elsewhere. Okay, anyway, so our council camp was held at this place called Jalan Batera. So the significance of Jalan Batera is, one, it's at this very, like, isolated, secluded area. The second thing that's interesting about it is the fact that it's near a cemetery. So literally, as the bus drives through this area to get us to the to Jalan Batera, we literally drive past a cemetery. There's a lot of stories about Jalan Batera being haunted. So what happened was my sister, when she was in secondary school, she had to go for a camp and her campsite was Jalan Batera. And what happened was one night during um dinner, um so mm-hmm. this is like open area place where food is set up for students to eat. Near mm-hmm. this area, there's this, like, one lone tree. I, I don't know uh. if y'all remember this area, but, like, I can picture it very clearly. So, what happened was, um, my sister was there, and she turns her head, and she looks at this tree, and there's this woman standing under the tree. And then, the woman sort of disappears. And the thing is, my sister and some of her friends see it and literally the next day my sister i think it was the next day i can't remember but essentially my sister fell sick and at that point i was just okay. like yeah you saw a ghost congratulations also never go to jalan batera ever again yeah i i have personal encounters at jalan batera so it's super creepy there i hate it i had to go there for a camp like in secondary school and because like, i was a student leader i had to go there a night before the actual campus came so there were like 20 of us like in an empty camp with like only like two teachers and the teachers get to sleep in the aircon room so they are like they're like all safe and sound and then here we are like in our like sleeping bags in the middle of like freaking nowhere and we were all just scared shitless like and it was dark they don't allow you to on the lights and cause if you on the lights there are so many bees so like do you want bees or ghosts you choose that, that was usually the option that they gave us so okay. yeah the, the, the so weird scary. thing about John Batera was so the two years we went there for council camp the two consecutive years every second day everyone would wake up with sand fly bites and it's not just one or two bites like their whole bodies will be covered in sand oh, fly yeah, bites I remember this and it's yeah. so strange because this happened for two consecutive years so the first year it happened we were like okay whatever but the second year when it happened um, Shell Honda and I were just like right something isn't right no, some, here s- something isn't right about that camp like when I went there with my secondary school friends right um, unless in, in secondary school so many people had so many encounters. We kind of like told it to the principal and the principal had to make a speech about it like in the campus. <sighs> like even the teacher experienced it. I think the teacher one was the one that I streamed the most because like, you know, like everybody is like in the main area and we're just waiting for a few people. So there was a teacher that was counting like the number of people that were coming down the like those like huts. So she counted I think seven. It's just like, okay, there's seven of them and they're coming because they were the last people. 
And then they came, there was only six, but she was very sure she counted seven. And the people around her, because the people around her were counting down with her, so and they counted seven. And all of them were just waiting for these seven people to come. And they even made like an announcement of like, okay, there are still seven people more that are coming here. Once they come here, we can go like for dinner. Oh, and then, yeah, they only turned out with six people. And then the teacher asked like, like she asked in front of everybody like, Where's the seven person? So I know there's only six of us. Oh my god! So, ah, I didn't you say there were dogs barking in the night? Oh yes. Um, I think the first year. Okay, so what happened was I cannot fall asleep, especially, um, in areas where I can see lizards. And the place we were sleeping, there was just <laughs> lizards everywhere, and I was just anxious as hell. And I remember I eventually fell asleep, only to be awoken in the middle of the night because I heard dogs barking. And the thing is, these dogs weren't just like. Bark, bark. They were like really bark, going bark. at it. It was aggressive barking. So mm. the next day, I was like, hey guys, do you hear the dogs barking? And then one of my friends comes up to me and she's like, you know what they say about dogs barking in the middle of the night? <laughs> and I was just like, um, I don't want to know. Yeah. Yikes. So I think that's all the stories for today. Chris is like freaked out. I'm freaked out. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It would be such a great help. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and whatever podcast platform you listen to. And you can follow us on Instagram at howpodcast, that's H-A-U podcast. Shoot us a message or send us stories if you like. You can also email us at hiddenamongus3 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Bye. 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 (laughs) Bye. Thank you.